interesting one today. Have you ever noticed, uh, when I was younger, and, and uh, as I was growing up, I always thought, you know, problem, people talk about problems, but I never really had a lot of problems. And maybe I'm thinking a little bit romantically about my 20s, but I remember my, my 20s being, you know, you'd have to go looking for problems. But the older I get, and the more complicated my life has become, I've realized that problems now find me. Have you ever had that? And, and, and as you're going through life, problem after problem after problem, and, and then you go, wow, I'm actually, there's a lot of problems in life. You know? And life has rewards, and it's great growing up and you know, maturing and learning more things, but problems are painful. And then the Bible is full of promises. God actually, someone actually counted them. Did you know someone counted? I don't know who did it. I don't know if they did it well. I don't know if they got paid, but someone counted the number of, Promises in the Bible, 8,810 promises in God's word to God's people, 8,810, which was daunting when I learned that because that means there's a lot of promises for the problems that I have to face. And I don't think I've met 8,810 problems yet, but God is still good, right? God is still good. And so what I wanted to talk with you about, what I've been challenged with and what I've been walking through lately is what do we do? When we come against a problem and we know there's a promise, we know there's a promise of God, but we find ourselves stuck in the place between the problem and the promise. What do we do when we say, God, I know there's financial resource and freedom and breakthrough for me in my life, but I don't see it yet. I know that your promise tells me, your word tells me that you are faithful and you fulfill your promises. What does it say in Hebrews chapter 10? Let us hold tightly without wavering. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to fulfill his promises. Yet I know this and I know financial breakthrough is here, but I can't see the victory yet. What do we do in that place? Or God, I know there's healing for my marriage. I know there's healing for my relationship right here. And I know your word says that you're going to stand with me and that you bind up the brokenhearted and you set the captives free. But I can't see the restoration in my marriage yet. What do we do when we find ourselves facing a problem, knowing a promise and finding ourselves stuck? Because I believe that when we find ourselves up against a problem, and we know there's a promise, I think there's a process. And I'd like to share a few thoughts with you this morning about what it looks like to engage with the process when we find ourselves between a problem and a promise. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to just come together and share and talk and, and worship. And Lord, we thank you so much that you've already shown us breakthrough in the worship this morning. Lord, thank you so much for your presence. Thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray that over those listening at home right now and those listening here and those who will listen to this message later on, Lord, that there will be something in this message that you have just for them. Lord, I pray that you will unlock it in our heart. I pray you will unlock it in our spirit. And I just declare right now freedom over this message, over our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So there's this moment when the Israelites, you can read it in Exodus chapter 14, find themselves in this exact situation. They're stuck between a problem and a promise. And so this happens after all of the you know, plagues of Egypt and the Egyptians have let the Israelites go. You can read it in Exodus chapter 14. And the Israelites have gone off and they're trying to get into the promised land. But before they get there, there's the Red Sea and there's the wilderness. So they're still a ways off it. 
but they're heading in that direction. And as they go along, they hit the point where the Red Sea's in front of them. And then the Egyptians have realized, wait, we really need these guys. We don't want to build our own stuff. And so they've decided to barrel down after them, send the entire army, and they're going to wipe out the Israelites and then bring them back, right? So this is bad, right? You've, you've got a promise. God said, I'm going to set you free. I'm going to choose you for my people. And I'm going to bring you out and put you in the promised land. And as they're going, they find themselves stuck between the Red Sea on one side, and probably they couldn't swim, and on the other side, the Egyptian army, and they're coming down and it, it's going to be bad, right? They're stuck between a problem and a promise. And I just, there's a couple thoughts that I think we, we can draw from this, some things that we can learn from what they went through that I would love to share with you. Is that okay? Here we read in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. Moses said, so, you know, they've come to him. I'll bring it even back a little bit further. If we back it up, they, they come up to Moses. They're like, hey, by the way, this is a bad situation. I'm paraphrasing. It says, they said to Moses, is it because that we're, there were not enough graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? In other words, they're saying, Moses, what have you done? This is all your fault. And by the way, I really don't want to die today. In verse 13, this is what Moses says. He says, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. Verse 13, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord that, we will that he will accomplish for you today. The first thing that we should do when we're stuck in that place between a problem and a promise is get perspective. We need to get perspective. We need to adjust what we're looking at. We need to see things differently. And how do, how do you know... This is a good question. How do you know if you need perspective? Let me, let me ask you this. If your problem is bigger than your God, you need perspective. If, your problem is, if the problem that you're facing is bigger than the God that you believe in, then you need perspective. Psalm 69 says, I magnify the Lord with my heart. Because in the, the psalmist recognized, you know, when I'm facing something I don't know how to get through, if my God can get bigger, well, he, let's, God's not actually getting bigger. Can I just, but our focus on him increases to, the, to a greater magnitude to understand exactly how big God is, right? Let's just, like, we're not making God bigger. I just want to clarify that. But, but when we focus our attention on him, we realize actually God was, God was big enough all along. I just didn't realize it. That's why it says in oh, flip, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the renewing of our mind. When we come up against a problem and you go, God, I know this financial breakthrough, but do I really know that God's going to bring me out of this? Is God actually big enough to deal with my financial problems? Is God actually big enough to bring healing to my body? Is, is God actually big enough to bring my child who is out of church back to church? And the answer is yes, but the question is, do I have perspective? Have I, be have I become conformed to the pattern of this world or have I become transformed? How do you know if you've got a good perspective? Your problem is tiny, your God is huge, and the supernatural seems natural. When the supernatural seems natural, nothing can stand in the way of that. We need to get perspective. We need to get perspective. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Why? Because as we're walking this life, as we're carrying this faith, when we take our eyes off Jesus, the problems get really big. You, you're quite large. 
just as a human being. You're bigger than this. But if I focus on this right here, in comparison, you get tiny. But if I get rid of this, you're exactly the way you always were, right? When we focus on our problems and we forget to get perspective, when we focus on the thing that we're struggling with and forget to get perspective, we lose sight of faith, we fail. Our eyes, they fail. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the one who started it and he's the one who's going to end it. And the enemy has no say in between. Amen. Goes on. You ready for the next thought? Good. Excellent. He goes on. He says in verse 15, Exodus chapter 14, verse 15, this is what the Lord says. The Lord says to Moses, he says, tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Everyone's standing there. God has created a way, but no one's moving towards the way. No one's heading towards the opportunity. And God says, tell the sons of Israel to go forward. If the first part of the process is that we need to get perspective, the second part of the process is we need to become productive. We need to become productive. We need to start doing something. We need to start moving. We need to start kicking ourselves into gear. Do you know the word go? Again, someone counted this. I don't know who counts this. The word go appears in the Bible 1,542 times. 1,542. The word stay appears in the Bible 62 times. Which tells me just as a species, God's been trying to tell us for a long time, we need to get moving. We need to get moving. We actually had a neighbor when I was growing up, grew up on a, on a, on a property, and, and down the road there was a guy, and he started breeding goats. When I say he started breeding goats, he had a couple of goats, and they ran away, and he just never caught them. And so they kind of grew into a large mob of goats, and he thought, I really should get rid of these goats. There's probably 150 goats there. So we enlisted us. We came up there, and for three days we attempted to catch these goats. For three days we built walls and gates and sheds and fences and all sorts of things, and they went over them and under them. We chased them with you know, horses and motorbikes, and they completely ignored us. And uh, after three days, we didn't catch a single goat. They just ran around everything. You ever tried to catch a goat that doesn't want to be caught? They are not easy. And, you know, and the ones that look like you can catch them are angry. And you don't want to meet an angry goat with sharp horns who also doesn't want to be caught. And so, you know, three days later, we just gave up. You know, the goat is your problem. We'll, we'll go home now. And that was it, the end of the story. Except a couple of weeks later, we're driving back past and the goats are gone. He got rid of the goats. And so we pulled up and said, hey, how'd you get rid of the goats? I promise this isn't a three-legged chicken story before you go any further. Um, but how'd you get rid of the goats? He goes, well, he'd, he'd caught them all by himself um, one at a time. He walked out at night time with a flashlight and a rope. And uh, he walked up to a goat and he flashed the torch in its eyes and it would freeze and just block up and he'd put the rope on it and lead it away. And walk out and shine the light in another goat's eyes and it would freeze. He'd put the rope on it and walk it away, lock it up. And it, with doing that, he, he was able to clear out all his goats. I wonder if the enemy knows that it's not about how many walls he builds around us. If he can just shock us into staying still, if he can shock us into not moving, if he can surprise us into letting our fear response take over and our faith response be diminished, then he doesn't have to do anything. We'll take ourselves out of the race. I wonder how many times we've missed out on the promises of God because we locked up. I wonder how many times we've missed out on the promises of God because we remained still. And we have this word, right? We say, oh, I'm waiting on God. I'm waiting on God. 
but maybe we've given that a disservice in the English language because maybe waiting on God has nothing to do with an act of patience. Maybe waiting on God is a hard attitude of anticipation. What if waiting on God is a heart attitude of, I wonder what he's about to do. Can I get a volunteer, just out of curiosity? You, young man, you're looking very strapping there. Would you just, yeah, just, just stand up. That's good stay. You're looking well, by the way. Thank you. Um, could you catch this for me, please? Just ready? You, you looking, you're looking good. Are you ready to catch this at all? Sure? You, you don't want to... Do you notice how when he stood up, he wasn't ready to catch anything, right? You can sit down now. Thank you. But by the end, he's anticipating something's about to happen, right? He didn't know what was going to happen. He hoped he didn't look foolish and miss it, right? Because you don't want to be the guy who can't catch. I was the guy who couldn't catch in school, and trust me, no one likes that guy. And, uh, but, but when we get into the position of just anticipating God, sometimes oh, I'm waiting on God. And we become idle, we become stagnant. But the Bible says, go. God said to the, uh, to the uh, Israelites, he said, tell the people to start moving. Why? Because I'm getting ready to do something. Can I ask you this? Has God ever stopped moving? That was a trick question. The answer was no. No, God has never stopped moving. So the question is, should we? When I'm waiting on God, is it much more like God's the freight train riding, rolling down the tracks and I'm the person attempting to keep pace beside him, waiting for the miracle he's about to do in my life and I'm going to have to do something practical while I'm getting there because the train's going to get away from me. Could God still moving? And maybe, maybe we need to start moving. Maybe there's something practical. I don't know what the situation, what the problem is in my marriage. I know God's going to bring a miracle. I know God's going to bring something. I know God's going to bring something. But while I'm waiting for the miracle, I'm not standing still. I'm actually doing something. I'm, I'm going to go talk to someone. I'm going to find a book. I'm going to start reading. I know God's going to bring breakthrough in my finances or in my workplace or you know, either in my employment or my career. I know he's going to bring breakthrough. I believe it. I see the promise. I have perspective. But in the meantime, I'm not waiting for God to bring the miracle. I'm actually going to start doing something. I'm going to start reading something. I'm going to start preparing myself and anticipating the miracle that God's about to do in my life. This is the question. This is the question. And so as, it, as we go through it, maybe it's less about... And can I just clarify too? This isn't a message about getting God to do something for you. This isn't a message about... Getting God, oh, I've done, all the, I've done all the steps now, you know, that's, you know, now I'm going to force God's hand. He's going to bring the miracle. It's actually a message about how about in, the, in that tension between I don't know where I'm going and I don't know how to do this. In that tension, I'm going to do what I can do so I can leave God to do what only God can do. The miracle comes through God. The breakthrough comes through God. The restoration comes through God. The healing comes through God. And there's nothing I can do to make a difference on that. But while I'm stuck in that place, there's something I can do. While I'm stuck in that place, I'm going to deal with what I can deal with and let God deal with only what God can deal with. What only God can deal with. So when we're stuck in the place between a problem and a promise, we get perspective. We become productive. And I have one more thought if you'll bear with me. One more thought. In Exodus chapter 15, the very next, very next chapter, God successfully, you guys know this story, right? If you don't know the story, there's movies on this story. But, uh, you know, God successfully brings the Israelites through the Red Sea. And then as the Egyptian army attempts to follow them, he brings the water down and wipes out the Egyptian army. 
And then on the other side, on the other side of the Red Sea, do you know what they do? They write a song. It's called the Song of Miriam and Moses. You can read it. It's this giant song. I wouldn't read it to you because I'll be here for a while. But, but it's this giant song because the third thing we need to remember when we're stuck between a problem and a promise is we need to praise. We need to praise God. We need to praise God. We need to praise God. And sometimes, sometimes we need to praise before the battle. And sometimes we need to praise after the battle. And I believe that even though the Egyptian army was wiped out when the waters of the Red Sea came down, I believe firmly that the fear of the enemy was washed away in the praises. The fear of the enemy was washed away in the praises. We read in Matthew 26, verse 30, that Jesus, that Jesus, he said, yeah, this is just before, so we, we, this is night where Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives and he kneels down and he prays. And, he, you know, we know this is a very famous one, but Jesus is praying all night long. There's, he's weeping blood. This is an amazing moment. And he turns around and his, all of the disciples are asleep, right? And, and there's this moment where you see the raw heart of Jesus fighting with the sacrifice that's about to happen. You see the raw heart of Jesus saying, God, I don't want to do this, but it's your will. And I'm going to step aside to make sure your will comes. And it's this amazing night for us because... The communion that we remembered this morning only is possible because of that night with Jesus. But before Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, he did something. Matthew 26, verse 30. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus praised. And historians tell us that because it was the Passover that they just had, then the song most likely that they sang, because there's a whole book of songs, in case you're wondering. It's called Psalms. And the most likely song that they sang at the end of Passover was Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is the last of the Passover Psalms in the book of Psalms. And so here's the first words that Jesus would have been singing and praising before they left to go to the Mount of Olives. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Before he went into battle, before he stepped on that hill and started praying, before he knelt down and wept tears of blood, before he even went to the cross, he sang praise. He sang praise. We know in Jehoshaphat, Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse, somewhere in here, 20 verse 21, I was this close. Uh, we know Jehoshaphat sent Sent the, sent the army out, but he put the singers in front of the army to go out and fight the battle. Sometimes our praise needs to go before the victory, and sometimes our praise needs to go after the victory, but praise is part of the process of getting from the problem to the promise. Praise needs to be part of our process of getting from the problem to the promise. We know that Jesus actually praised. We know Jesus Got perspective. Jesus, you know, Jesus, he was, he was saying to his disciples, he said, look, go out, go out into the countryside. Go out into the countryside. But as you're going, as you're going, he says, tell everyone this. He says, wherever you meet, you say to people, tell them this exact same message. Proclaim, he said, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God has come near. This is, the, this is what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, go out wherever you go. Tell everyone you meet the kingdom of heaven has come close. Why? Because he said, I'm going to do something brand new and everyone needs a perspective. Everyone needs to realize that, you know, you've been doing your life and you've been walking along and you've been kind of, you know, just 
keeping up with the pace, but God is come close to you. God has come close to you. God is near to you right now, right within your reach, and you can reach out and grab the kingdom of heaven. And maybe that's for you this morning. Maybe you've been walking through life, and you've come to a point where, you, you know what? I forgot that the kingdom of heaven is within my reach. I forgot that God's presence and God's grace and God's mercy is within my grasp. And so Jesus said to his disciples, you need to give everyone perspective. And then there's this gentleman whose son was sick. We read about it in, oh goodness, we read about it in John chapter 4 verse 46. There was a man from Capernaum whose son lay sick, he was dying. And he heard that Jesus was over here, so he went to find Jesus. And, and, Jesus, and he said, my son's sick. And Jesus said, go home, your son's fine. And he, and he went home and he found on his, on his way home, they met him and said, your, fine, your son is fine. You know, as of the moment that Jesus spoke, your son was fine. He was from Capernaum. Capernaum means city of comfort. The man with a sick son had to become productive and leave his place of comfort in order to reach out and find the miracle that God had for him. Perspective, productive, and praise. Could you stand with me this morning? I don't know what problems you've been facing. I don't know what you've been dealing with. I'm not sure how you're going. But I know God does. And I believe there are people in this room right now who are facing some pretty big things, some, some struggles, some, some doubt, some fear. There's freedom from fear. There's freedom from everything that you're facing. The promises of God are right there. And maybe this morning you just go, you know what? I feel like I just need one of these things. You know, maybe I've forgotten to have perspective. Maybe I've forgotten to be productive. Maybe I've forgotten to praise. But I feel like, you know, even if it's just one thing this morning that I'm going to do for the rest of the week, I'm, gonna, I'm just, I'm just going to focus on this. I'm going to focus on this because I believe that God is trustworthy and He fulfills the promises He makes to us. I believe that there are people here that God wants to offer breakthrough for. And it's a bit of a practical message, but I just want to, I want to add to it that there's breakthrough. There's breakthrough for those who need it. That no matter what you do, whether you praise or remain productive or get perspective, God's the one who brings the miracle and that's the one whose faith we need right now. We need faith in God. The man who said to Jesus, I believe you, help me in my unbelief. Maybe that's you this morning. God, I believe you, help me see the promises. God, I want to believe, help me believe that you are the one who brings the impossible in. Lord, I I see the problem, but I, I want to believe that the supernatural can be natural for me. And I just pray this morning. I just just want to pray for all of us, if that's okay, to close this up. I want to pray just for breakthrough across that. Why don't you just lift your hands where you are? I don't know if this prayer will be for your loved ones who aren't here. I don't know if this prayer is for for your finance. I don't don't know if this prayer is is for just someone who's very close to you. And you just just want to stand in the gap for them. All, all All I ask is this, that you just keep them in your mind. You hold them in your heart. And you say, God, this is for them. I just want to claim this for them. 
Lord, I just lift up every heart. I lift up every soul. I lift up every life. I lift up every story right now in this room, across this place, across the live stream, even over across the internet. Lord, we just declare that your grace is sufficient for us. Lord, we believe that you are one who fulfills his promises. And we say right now to the problems that lie in front of us, you are small. God, we magnify you in our heart. We magnify you in our heart. And we just declare right now that the freedom and the kingdom is right within our reach. Lord, we just declare your grace. We declare your miracles. We declare your blessings, Lord. Lord, we pray for faith to believe. We pray for boldness to stand right now, Lord. We pray for boldness to stand in the place where the enemy says that we cannot stand. Lord, we declare right now that your freedom and your engagement are right here within us. And Lord, we just declare across this place, Lord, there are people whose hearts are hurting right now. And I don't know why they're hurting. You're carrying heavy burdens from this week gone by. You're carrying heavy weight. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But God says, I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God says, I have plans for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And I declare right now, I declare right now the promises of God and faith to rise in this place, faith to rise in hearts, faith to rise in lives, faith to rise in every spirit right now. And Lord, we just declare that we will have perspective. Lord, Holy Spirit, we just thank you for being here this morning, Lord. Give us clarity over our own heart. Declare to our heart what it is that you have called us to. Declare to our heart what it is we are missing. As we give us perspective, shed we like the scales fell from Paul's eyes, we declare the scales to fall from our eyes, Lord. As the scales fell from Paul's eyes, we declare fresh vision, fresh perception. We, Lord, we see that you are bigger than the enemy. You, we see that the plans of the enemy are to nothing. And Lord, we also declare over production, Lord, that you will help us to be practical, that you are a practical God. Lord, and we just declare that there is something we can do. Even now, Holy Spirit, you are revealing to our heart one step, one step, one conversation, one choice, one book, one word, one deed, one act. And we're just going to start beginning to see your miracles flow in our lives. And Lord, over the praise, over praise, over praise, Lord, we just declare a heart of praise over all of us. Lord, that as we lift up your name, the enemy's words will come to nothing. Lord, as we lift up your name, that your presence will rise. Lord, we will realize the enemy has no say, no authority. We declare over the chains that he's tried to place on us that they are disappearing right now in Jesus' name. We declare over the, the, the words that he's whispered that their impact and their influence and their power will be of nothing in your name right now. And Lord, we declare that as we praise that you're going to just set us free, set us free completely and bring the victory in place. And Lord, I say that in your precious name. Amen. I don't know what we do here. If, if you guys want prayer for anything, these guys look like they're ready to play a song. So they're going to play a song. If you guys want prayer for anything, and I mean anything, uh, I'm happy to pray for you. I'm sure there's a group of people ready to pray for you, and we would love to engage in anything.